happen for a while, but there for a while, it happened quite regularly. I would have people come up to me and very seriously look at me and ask, why don't more pastors speak up about what's going on in the world today? Well, there's a lot of answers to that question, and I tried to do my best, and I would have liked to have said to them, well, they just need to do it, but that wasn't answer enough. But it has caused me to think, and I've been prodded here recently to think about it again, why don't we speak up today? Why is the church so often silent about what's going on in our world, in our country today? Why aren't we willing to bring the wisdom and the truth, the guidance that God gives us to bear on the problems of the day? The short question is, why is the church so silent? Well, I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and I am one of those pastors that needs to speak up and try to do it in the way that we can get a hearing and get people to listen and, and engage. And yes, that's a challenge because a lot of what goes on today is not any interest in listening and engaging. It's just in trying to convince us that we ought to do what someone says we should do. We ought to believe what someone else says we should believe. Well, I'm the pastor of a local church. We have a church in Cape Coral, Florida. I think you would enjoy our church. We have good people here. Um, we, we are like lots of churches. We're just good people trying to follow what God has called us to follow, fo trying to follow the Bible, stick to the Bible and its truth. And we do, I guess, something that a lot of churches don't do. We talk to each other about the issues of the day. And Sometimes, uh, maybe more than sometimes, I talk about them on Sundays just because I want people to think about things, not because I'm so intent on convincing them they have to think like I do. I want us to all think like God does and to follow what the Bible says. And if we need to prod each other on that and if they need to challenge me, then people do, and that's fine. The point is not whether I'm right or they're right. The point is, we all know God is right, and so we need to follow what God says to us. So today on the program, and you're listening to Faith Is, where we understand that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Well, today we're going to think out loud on America Out Loud about some of these issues of the day, and particularly the issue of why does it seem... And I think it's real that the church is so silent about things. Why is it that the church is not speaking forthrightly for God? Why is the church so silent? And I don't know that we will get all of the answers to that, but I would really like you to think carefully about that, because not only do we need to understand why, but we need to understand what God expects of us. And so I think we need to think about it both from understanding the problem, but also from what's the solution and how do we go forward from there. So I've got a lot of thoughts. They're kind of scattered here, there, and everywhere. But let's just plunge in and see if we can help each other stretch in God's direction and come to grips with this idea of why is the church silent? Why does not the church speak out forthrightly and be a correction on some of the things that we see going on today. It's almost as though the church is behind the correction on some things, and when the culture corrects something, the church doesn't even seem to speak up about it. So 
we just need to think this through and, and, and help each other on this. Now, let me say from the beginning that, yes, I think we who are pastors have a significant responsibility in speaking up and speaking out. I've said many times, I think I've said on this program, that pastors are two things. Pastors are priests and pastors are prophets. Our priestly function is when we speak to God on behalf of the people. When we come before God, and we often do that in church services on Sundays or some other time during the week, and we talk to God on behalf of the people who have gathered, on behalf of the church. And that's a priestly function. Nearly everybody thinks that's great if a pastor will pray for them, for the church, for all the people, maybe even for their individual situation. And we do that. That's what pastors do. The other side of that coin is that not only are we priests and present the people to God, but we are prophets and we are in charge with the task of presenting God to the people. Now, I'm not really sure, how should I say this? I'm not sure everybody likes that particular role of a pastor because I get it. We're all kind of uncomfortable thinking that God is going to tell us something we don't want to hear. Well, often we're in that position and we feel like God's going to tell us something we don't want to hear. What we've forgotten is that God only tells us the things that he tells us for our own well-being, for our own good. We tend to think, well, God is going to restrict us somehow, and that's not what God is up to at all. The um, The whole point of, of God's commandments, if you will, or the law, if you prefer to think of it that way, is that they provide for us the best life, and they protect us from harm in this life. And so we need to kind of change our thinking about that and to realize that when God speaks to us, he's speaking to us to help us for our well-being, not to damage us, not to restrict us, not to take away, and some people used to look at it this way, not to take away our fun. That's not what God is up to. He's there and working for our well-being. So that's an important perspective for us to recapture because when a pastor does not feel like people want to hear what God says, then it makes it difficult for them to speak frankly and openly. I'm, I'm not here to say that lets them off the hook. I'm just saying that's a very human dynamic. And the way most churches work, if people get mad at the pastor, they send him packing. And so he and his family, particularly if they live in a parsonage, are both without any means of support and no place to live. They're gone. And churches have done this. And, and maybe there are legitimate reasons that churches have said goodbye to a pastor and urged them out the door. Maybe. But sometimes I wonder if it's because the church doesn't want to hear what God is saying through the pastor. So when we consider this idea of why is the church silent, we need to understand that there are some very human pressures that are put on people. And not many people take the time to think about that. Again, I'm not saying that's an excuse. I'm giving that as an explanation. Because if you, as a person who attends your church, member of your church, or a constituent at your church, however you happen to describe it, then one of the things that you can do to help the situation, and this is important because we don't do any good if we just complain about stuff, right? 
Oh, but Pastor Rick, I love to complain. A lot of people do. Well, get over that. Quit complaining. When you see a problem, find a solution. And here's one of the ways that you can help your pastor have both the courage and the permission. And I, and I really struggle with how to describe it because pastors shouldn't need permission. But as I described, there's a very human dynamic that goes on here. And so one of the things that you can cultivate in your church, we've done that here. I did it because I thought it was important for us to talk about it out loud. But we say pretty regularly, and we have this assumption that the pastor is supposed to say to the people what he believes God is saying to the church. Now, might a pastor get it wrong? Might I get it wrong? Absolutely, we might make a mistake. Not going to say we're infallible. Nobody should say that. But unless the church purposefully and intentionally says to the pastor, Pastor, we want you to tell us what God is saying to us, whether we like it or not, whether we want to hear it or not, whether we'll like you for telling us that or not. See, that's a very different situation. And when a pastor is given that kind of permission, then it gives the pastor the opportunity to speak frankly and fully to present all of what God says in the scriptures in the way that pastor understands it. Now, I struggle with that sometimes because I realize that's an enormous responsibility. My, to say to the church, here's what God says, I mean, who speaks for God, really? Well, that's one of the reasons that God called us to speak for him. That's the reason he called the prophets in the scriptures to speak for him. And we should recognize that, and we've got to come to grips with that at some point in our lives, and we can't be intimidated by that or silenced by that or anything else. We just have to step up to that responsibility and before God do the best we can and ask God to help us and trust that he does. I don't think God calls us to do this without his commitment to help us do it. So that's a very down-to-earth, tangible kind of thing that you can do in your church, is cultivate the idea. I, I would suggest if you've never said this to your pastor, and even if you don't think you need to, I, I, I can't imagine any pastor not appreciating this. Say to your pastor, as soon as possible, say to your pastor, listen, I want you to always say to us, the church, what you believe God wants us to hear. I want you to say it whether you think I will like it or not, whether you think I will like you or not. Because my commitment to you today is that I want you to tell us what God is saying, and if it makes me mad, that's my problem. Could you say something like that to your pastor? I'm convinced that if a bunch of people in a lot of churches would say that, it would make a big difference and it would really help the pastor have confidence to speak for God. And really, remember, we're the church. We're all in this together. And so we have a responsibility on both sides of the pulpit to be engaged in that process. If you have a Bible study group at your church or some kind of other, maybe you meet with some people regularly for breakfast, uh, maybe you have what, what we used to call Sunday school classes, and it's still a good thing to call them. A lot of times we call them life groups or small groups or whatever you want to call them. They're all just a new name for a Bible study group, a Sunday school class. Bring that up in your group and ask the people to join you in supporting the pastor, speaking the truth, as he believes God wants it spoken to the church. Now, I can almost guarantee you 
because we're people and we have our perspectives, that there are going to be some people that that are unhappy with the pastor because he doesn't talk about their favorite subject in the way they want him to talk about it or her. You might have a, a female pastor. Some churches do. That's a whole other conversation. We're not going to divide the church over that today. I'm just going to recognize that it's a reality and own that I support that God gives gives gifts to everyone, men and women. I think it's a false dichotomy that we've made up, but there's a whole lot of scripture that goes on to supporting that. But anyway, now that I've distracted you entirely, let's get back to this. We need to say to our leaders, our pastors, we are behind you telling us the truth as you understand God wants us to hear it. And we don't want you to hold back for any reason. We want you to guide us in the way we should go. And if we disagree, we want to then have an honest conversation about what's going on because we want all of us together we want to have the mind of Christ on these things so that's that's an important part of helping the church speak up now the other side of that is yes the pastor should talk about these things but yes all of the rest of the people in the church should talk about these things too when you have conversations with people outside the church maybe at work maybe at at uh, some social event, I, I don't know where you go or what you do, but when you have conversations and some of these things come up, is it okay for you to say, well, have you ever asked yourself what God thinks about that issue? And then see what people say. Because isn't that a way to introduce that perspective? So let's talk about, uh, what should we talk about? Taxes, okay? Everybody loves to talk about taxes and in, in complaining about them, it seems. But what if you, the next time that came up, you said to the people there in the group, you said, well, have you ever thought about what God says about taxes or about what the Bible says about taxes? Could we learn anything from the story of God's people about taxes? And see what people say. Challenge them to think that through. See, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. We all need to be engaged in that. We all need to be a part of that process. And and whatever the issue, we need to ask each other, and we need to challenge each other to ask, well, what does God say about that? Because if we have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, then doesn't that mean we have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of the Bible? Well, of course it does. Now, I know people are going to say, well, but all the interpretations. I get that. I get that. Don't make excuses about interpretations. Don't make excuses about different English translations. Nobody should hide behind all of that stuff. Let's find out what God says. And God is clear on the things he wants us to be clear about. And if there are, if there are questions about things, let's wrestle with them. God's people have been doing that forever. Let's not ever let that be an excuse, an excuse to keep us from engaging and pursuing what God wants to say to us in these days. So let's keep thinking out loud about this, and and let me kind of unpack a few things that that I was thinking about, about why is the church silent? Well, one of the things that immediately comes to mind, probably comes to your mind, is that, well, sometimes people are just afraid. They're fearful. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about not being afraid, but let's just recognize that fear is often... What keeps people from speaking up? And what might they they be afraid of? Well, in the church, as I've experienced it, maybe not as you have experienced it, 
but in the church as I've experienced it, people are allergic to conflict, conflict of any kind. Now, to be sure, not everyone is allergic to conflict. There are some, um, uh, how do I, church bullies. Oh, I mean, we're supposed to call them church bosses, aren't we? Well, there are some people who always think they should have their way, and so they speak up and they try to coerce people into doing that. And so good people don't know how to handle that, and so they kind of struggle with that. Those people aren't afraid of conflicts because they're more interested in getting their own way. That's, that's not what I'm talking about, really, although those people need to be corrected. And if you have that problem in your church, you need to say to the pastor, Pastor, we need to, we need to bring correction to this situation, to this person, and we want you to know we're going to support you in that. Well, that's a power. that happened to me once, years ago. Years ago, it was a mighty struggle. And the first church I actually served as pastor went through some really, really interesting times. And it was the only time up to that point in my life, and, and it was really robust, and I don't know that I've ever had anything like it, because too many times people, when conflict comes up, they don't know what to do, so they just shrink away. But in this particular conflict, there was a... There was a man who was convinced I was all wrong about this, that, or the other thing. Uh, and the issue wasn't important. Uh, it was at that point because it brought conflict to the church, but it wasn't important in the big scheme of things. Well, people at the church didn't know what to do. But finally, we had some help from a district superintendent who said to them, if this comes up, all you need to do is stand up and say you support the pastor. And many of them did. And that became clear. And and wasn't because I was right in every way. I don't remember anybody saying to me that I was right in every way. But they recognized that we had to bring correction to this. And what was going on wasn't being done right. And so the way to correct it was to express confidence in the pastor. And we could work through it. And we did work through it. And that gentleman and I had a lot of coffees together and had good times and uh, He's going to be with the Lord now, and even today, yeah, when I think back on that, if I was going to be in his town, if he hadn't already moved to the to the holier city, if I was going to be in his town, I would seek him out and say, hey, let's get together and talk. Um, I guess you'd say we were friends. I was, I was never, uh, I, I, it never lingered. It was resolved. I don't know that he was particularly happy about everything. Maybe not everybody was particularly happy about everything, but we got through it. But too many times, church people are, allergic to conflict, so the least little conflict comes up, and they shrink back. I'm not saying we spoil for a fight either, but we need to not be afraid of the conflict, either amongst ourselves or in the broader community. So if the church takes a stand, for example, and says marriage needs to be a faithful covenant between one man and one woman, and they need to be loyal and faithful to each other, some people are going to be upset by that. Well, what do you mean? Well, what we mean is loyal and faithful because they've made a commitment to each other. They've stood before God and made those vows. Well, that can bring you into conflict with people, particularly if they think same-sex marriage is okay or some other expressions of marriage, maybe that involve um, messing around with other people. Well, the church needs to speak directly about those things when those become issues that people need to hear a clearer word from God. And there might be people that would object to that out in the broader community, but the church doesn't go out there and stick it in their face. The church goes out there and says, before God, we recognize this is the way he established the world. And we persuade, and we help people see that. So people are 
in, in every way that you can probably imagine, church people, as I've seen it, are allergic to conflict. And again, I'm not spoiling for a fight. I'm just saying we need to resolve those things. And just because we disagree doesn't mean we should not lean into those things and come to resolution on that. I think church today is often afraid of rejection. Well, if we tell them what God thinks, they'll reject us. They might. They rejected a guy years ago. His name was Jesus. I believe you've heard of him. Well, he told them what God expected, and not everybody wanted to hear it. They rejected him. It's entirely possible that people will reject us today. But why is that keeping us from speaking up? It shouldn't. Sometimes people will say, well, we will offend someone. Hmm, that's a real interesting one. I've been, I've been thinking about that a lot for a lot of years. I don't know that I've got everything sorted out on that because that expression, someone will be offended, just is a door so wide you can drive any size vehicle through it. And I like to think of it this way. Yes, it is possible that we could intentionally and purposefully offend someone by something we say or something we do. It's entirely possible. It's entirely possible that there are people that we could do all manner of things to and say all manner of things to and about, and they would never take offense at that. They would just go on as though nothing happened. So what I'm trying to say is that There's two ways to look at that. Anybody who wants to be offended will always, underline always, find a reason to be offended. There's no doubt about it. They will always find a reason to be offended. And somebody who has determined not to be offended, you you would struggle for days trying to offend them because they're just not going to go there. So the church needs to be careful about that. Yes, we want to be wise and winsome in the way we communicate God's truth to people, But we need to recognize that a lot of times what people say that when they say they're offended is because they have taken offense. They don't like what God has to say. We shouldn't be afraid of engaging that because they might be offended. And maybe another way of saying all of this, I think a lot of this that I'm mentioning right here is, is, is various sides of the same thing. But so often people today have a desire to be loved. You know, they just can't imagine that they haven't pleased everyone. Well, if you haven't discovered now, you're not going to please everyone. And so we need to get over that desire to be loved. We need to be the kind of people that please God, that want God's smile of approval, that want to be loved by Him, and that demonstrate that love by our faithfulness to Him. If we try to engage and speak for God in the world we live in today, And what drives us is a desire to be loved. We will not speak up when we need to. And yes, I'm continually reminded we need to be wise about how we speak up. Absolutely. So fear may be the the biggest thing that, that the church struggles with. Maybe the church has lost its vision for its role in the world. Maybe the church has lost the sense that that, hey, it has something to say to the world. Maybe, maybe people have gotten the sense that, well, nobody wants to hear what we have to say, so we just say it amongst ourselves and we retreat into our safe and comfortable, what we used to say, holy huddles, and, and we've lost our vision for, for engaging that. That's possible. We need to recapture that, by the way, and we'll talk a little bit about that. I, this one I'm 
was really kind of surprised I thought this way when I was going through this, but is it possible that the church is silent because it's lost its moral authority? Now, that one you need to think about carefully. Moral authority flows to an organization, to a group like the people of God, because they behave in moral ways. What I mean is they have a correct understanding of right and wrong. And before God, they do what's right, and they stay away from what's wrong. Could it be that the church has, and the old-timers use this word a lot, I guess we could use it again, has the church compromised in too many ways so that it's lost its moral authority and it can't speak with clarity to help people understand, thus says the Lord. Well, that's a pretty serious consideration there. If that's true, we need to recapture that moral authority. We need to build on that. I also think that kind of related to the vision thing and maybe the moral authority thing as well, that often the church has misunderstood its role in the fabric of our country here in the USA. You know, we, we have a different form of government than any other form of government in the history of the world. And because of the form of government we have agreed to amongst ourselves, we have a different role in that government than people have under a dictatorship. We have a different role than people had when Rome ruled the world, when God's people lived in what we call the Holy Land under the subjection of Rome. They didn't have a say, they just had to survive. Well, sometimes people equate the government in our day, or this is what I sense, I haven't heard anybody exactly say it, but too many times I've gotten the clear sense that people don't understand the role of the citizens of our nation. Well, we need to understand that because God has given us a government of the people, by the people and for the people, as Abraham Lincoln said years ago, that that gives us a different role. And so one of the things that the church is called to be is the conscience of the nation. We are to call the nation to correction when the nation veers in the wrong direction. We are to be the conscience of the nation. I don't think that's too complicated. The other thing that I I found this really... Uh, terrific idea from a man named Bill Federer, and, and I think he's exactly right. He reminds us that the people of God, the church, we are the counselors to the king. Now, we don't have a king in this country, so so hang on, don't go down that road and get in that ditch. What he means by that is we elect people to carry out certain responsibilities in our government. And so we give them that responsibility and the authority to carry that out. Well, along with all of that comes a responsibility on our part to be the counselors to the king because we are the ones that elected them. And it's very clear in our founding documents. Look at the Declaration of Independence. You'll see it very clearly that we are governed based upon the consent of the governed. So we are the ones who counsel the ones who make decisions, and it's our responsibility to give them guidance, to remind them of their rightful responsibilities, to lead them in the way they should go, to correct them when they're wrong. All of those kinds of things, because our responsibility as citizens is to participate in the government. And so that makes us responsible to be counselors 
to the kings, to the people in charge. Well, that's a bunch of the things. There's a couple other things. I'm not sure if we have time to get to them, but let's start in and we'll finish up on the other side of the break we need to take in a minute. You probably need a break from thinking about all this stuff. But another reason that I think the church has become silent is the church in too many places have allowed themselves to be marginalized. Now, I've been participating in the life of of the state of Florida in a number of ways at the state level, meeting with members of the Florida House and members of the Florida Senate. We've met with officials in the administration in Florida. We have made every effort to guide them to make better decisions. And so I understand some of the dynamics of the political process. And one of the dynamics is that if there's somebody that's speaking up and you don't want them to be heard, you'd make every effort to marginalize their voice. You push them away, you refuse to meet with them, you, you don't take them seriously, there's all kinds of ways. And I think, without a doubt, the church of God, the people of God, have been rather naive and have allowed themselves to be marginalized in our day and time. And what that has resulted in is the people have been silent. They have felt the pressure. They've been pushed away. Believe me, these men and women who don't want to hear from you, they will do everything they can to get you to go away. Happens all the time. Whether they do it because they're mean-spirited or whether they just are busy, I don't know whether I can tell that all the time, but I do know they try to push us away all the time. And the church has allowed itself in a number of ways to become marginalized. Well, I think we need to talk about that one a little bit more because there's a little bit more to that, and we'll do that, but we need to take a break. I need to give you a break so that you can take a breath and think and prepare to think along with me and to think out loud on America Out Loud. We'll be right back. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flu, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. 
was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said, lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. So are you, and I'm so glad that you have not been marginalized and you're hanging in there to think this stuff through today with me. It's a challenge. It's not something we think about often, but maybe we need to think about more often and maybe more carefully. And so we've agreed at the beginning of the program today to think out loud on America Out Loud about some of these issues about why the church is silent and what we can do about that. And I've suggested a number of reasons that the church is silent. I've started out by giving a suggestion for how we could help the church speak up more and how we could give pastors in particular the courage to do that and the permission. And I said, I don't know that they need our permission to do that, but because of the human dynamics, I think it's helpful to, do, to support them in that way. And we talked about a number of things that could be the reason that the church has allowed itself to be silenced. And we ended with this idea that the church has allowed themselves to be marginalized. Now, a couple of ways to think about that, and you can probably think of some others, but one of the easiest things to, to, to grasp is that we live in a time when if something is labeled as political, the assumption is we need to be careful with it and put it aside. You know what I mean by that? Well, that's political, and that by that the person means we need to leave that over there because we don't want to get involved in politics. And church people have been very good at that. Anything that makes them uncomfortable in, in order to avoid the conflict that they think might result is they call it political. And so they put it aside. That's a way that we have become marginalized because we have allowed the popular culture, political, particularly the political environment, to brand things as political and then to convince us if it's political, we don't have any business being involved in it. Well, there's a lot of responses to that, so let's just think about a couple. Let me ask you, was ending the slave trade a political issue or was it a question of right and wrong? I'm serious about that. You know, they said to William Wilberforce back when he was working in England to end the slave trade that he shouldn't get involved in that. He should leave his church stuff at church. Well, he didn't. He brought his convictions right in there to Parliament. And after years of struggle, he finally got them to vote to end the slave trade. It was a tough one, but he did. Well, aren't we glad he did? Was that political or was that a question of right and wrong? See, we need to be very careful not to, not to assume because someone calls it political that it is. So let me bring you to another one. There's been a lot of conversation in my lifetime, even recently because of the Supreme Court opinion that was issued over the question of abortion. Now, is the question of human life and the taking of human life a political issue or is it an issue of right or wrong. Well, years ago, I remember this, we considered it a clear issue of right versus wrong. 
But in recent years, we've watched how people who have wanted to advance a pro-abortion agenda begin to call it political, and in so doing, try to marginalize the people that stood up for the sanctity of human life. I resist that. I hope you do too. Just because they want to call it political doesn't make it so. They need to understand that it's a moral issue. God speaks to this, and we are going to speak to it. Another way that church people are marginalized is they'll say, and this is this has been a popular one. I don't know if I've heard it so much in recent years, but I've heard people say, you can't legislate morality. Well, that's baloney. There's no question that you legislate morality because every time you pass a law, it's either passed because it's for some good or to stop some harm. That's what morality is. That's right and wrong. So every time a member of the Florida House or a member of the Florida Senate casts a vote, they are casting a vote that says, I believe this is right or I believe this is wrong. That's the essence of morality. And yes, we have been doing that forever. We've said things are right and wrong forever. But the church too easily let itself be marginalized because it says you can't legislate that. Well, we do it all the time. And if you've ever gotten a traffic ticket, you found out that we legislated morality. We legislated what's right and what's wrong. And if you were wrong by, because you exceeded the speed limit, they let you know. Okay, so that's, that's just not an argument that stands up to scrutiny. We can't let ourselves be marginalized, but we have been. We have been allowing them to marginalize us. Now, there's another possible reason the church has allowed itself to be marginalized. And again, the enemies of right and wrong, the enemies of what God says, have used this to marginalize the church. You may be familiar with something called the Johnson Amendment. Back in 1954, then-Senator Lyndon Johnson won election to the Senate. There, he was going through an election campaign, and he won election. I think it was re-election to the Senate. Well, as part of that process, there were a couple of not-for-profit groups in Texas that didn't like him, and they openly advocated for his defeat. Well, I don't know if you've been around political types much, but sometimes they have kind of thin skin, and they remember, and they don't appreciate it when you don't support them. And so it was with Lyndon Johnson. And I know there are a lot of stories about him, and I'm not going to go down that road. But Lyndon Johnson understood how the Senate worked, and so he inserted in a bill language in the tax code that said a not-for-profit could not get involved in election campaigns. His whole point, as it was explained to me, was that he didn't want these two nonprofits that had opposed him to oppose him ever again. So he was going to silence them. As it was explained to me, people don't think that he had the church in mind, but because of the way he did it and because of the way the law is crafted, people began to say then that applies to churches, and so churches can't speak up about candidates, even issues. People have expanded it to that. And so that law or the threat of losing a tax benefit from the government has been used to marginalize the church. Well, we need to knock that stuff off. We're the church. And even if, and it's not, they could never get away with this under law. They just couldn't. 
even if they could take away the church's tax exemption, why do we let that stop us? Do we serve the living God or do we serve the government of the United States? I hope I hear amen out there, but we're thinking out loud here, and we need to think about this carefully. Why do we bow down to that kind of stuff? Because God is sovereign over everything, and God is not limited by an amendment that Lyndon Johnson put into the tax code. Amen, Pastor, say it again. God is not limited by an amendment Lyndon Johnson put in the tax code. Well, you get the idea. See, all these little things and big things, depending upon how you look at it, add up to the church allowing itself to be marginalized because, well, we don't want to be that kind of people. Well, what kind of people do we want to be? See, that's what it gets down to, isn't it? Do we want to be the kind of people that please people around us or that please God? Now, if you've been around me a little bit, you know that when I think about things like this, I often like to go back to the Bible and and think through and say, are there any stories from the Bible that help us understand the context of our times, the issues that we're facing, and that would give us an example or guidance of some kind on how to address them? Well, I was thinking about that, and there are a number of places. I don't think we'll get to all of them. It looks like I've talked long enough, and we're going to run out of time unless I really hurry, but I don't want to skip this one. So the context is in Acts, the book of Acts, we're in Acts chapter 5, and the context is the the beginning ministry of the followers of Jesus, particularly the disciples often called apostles, and they're referred to as apostles here in Acts chapter 5. Peter and the boys, you could say. Uh, Peter's the one that's called by name here in Acts chapter 5, the portion that I want to look at. And they had been testifying about Jesus. They had been proclaiming the good news that Jesus was here and he was the king and he would help them and people were healed. All kinds of amazing things happened as part of their testimony and as part of their ministry proclaiming the good news about Jesus. Well, uh, the authorities didn't like that very much. Okay, so here we are. Make the connection. The church sometimes may be called to speak up about things that the authorities may not like very well. And in case you hadn't thought of it, the authorities shut the church down. The church went along with it in too many places back during the COVID nonsense. Well, do we serve the government or do we serve God? So here we go. Let's take a look at this story. So the the chief priests and those people were were really upset. And so I'm going to pick this up reading in the message in Acts chapter 5 with verse 17. The language may be a little different because the message tells a a story in rather common language, not quite what we're used to if you're used to the King James or some other more formal translation, but I think it tells the story really well. And it uses words that will help us get it. So beginning Acts chapter 5 verse 17 from the message. Provoked mightily by all this, and that means by all the testimony that had been going on and the people paying attention to it, provoked mightily by all this, the chief priest and those on his side, mainly the sect of Sadducees, went into action, arrested the apostles, and put them in the town jail. But during the night, and here's where it really gets interesting, but during the night, an angel of God opened the jailhouse door and led them out. He said, go to the temple 
and take your stand, tell the people everything there is to say about this life. So, an angel comes to the jail. You're going to find out what happened to the jailers in a minute. But notice this. The angel comes to the jail and opens the door and leads them out. And says, go to the temple and preach, proclaim, give testimony about Jesus and about the life following Jesus. Picking up the reading again. Promptly obedient. Oh, isn't that good? Promptly obedient. They entered the temple at daybreak and went on with their teaching. Meanwhile, the chief priest and his cronies convened the high council, Israel's senate, and sent to the jail to have the prisoners brought in. When the police got there, they couldn't find them anywhere in the jail. They went back and reported, We found the jail locked tight as a drum, and the guards posted at the doors. But when we went inside, we didn't find a soul. Oh boy, wouldn't you have liked to have been there and seen that? That is just so hilarious. Everything was the way it should be, except those rascals weren't there. Continuing, verse 24. The chief of the temple police and the high priest were puzzled. What's going on here anyway? Just then, someone showed up and said, Did you know that the men you put in jail are back in the temple teaching the people? The chief and his police went and got them, but they handled them gently, fearful that the people would riot and turn on them. Bringing them back, they stood them before the high council. The chief priest said, Didn't we give you strict orders not to teach in Jesus' name? And here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are trying your best to blame us for the death of this man. Peter and the apostles answered, It's necessary to obey God rather than men. Don't miss that statement. That's a really well-known statement. I don't know if you've heard it before, but it's been used a lot in my life in the church. It just hasn't been followed in recent years by the people of God in the church. Peter and the apostles answered, It's necessary to obey God rather than men. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, the one you killed by hanging him on a cross. God set him on high at his side, Prince and Savior, to give Israel the gift of a changed life and sins forgiven. And we are witnesses to these things. The Holy Spirit whom God gives to those who obey him corroborates every detail. Well, isn't that remarkable? Those guys didn't turn and run because they had been put in jail. They went right back to the middle of the action in the temple and began to proclaim the truth about Jesus. Isn't that something? Isn't that what we should be? Shouldn't we make our, our motto? And I ask rhetorically, and of course I mean yes, a thousand times yes. Shouldn't we make it our motto to say it's necessary to obey God rather than men? Isn't it time we stopped pleasing people and started pleasing God? Isn't that what we're really talking about here? And again, I'm not talking about being offensive. I'm talking about being truthful and honest. Somebody needs to, to recapture this vision. Uh, maybe a whole bunch of us need to recapture this vision that, that we need to speak what God says. We need to obey what God says, not be intimidated by anything anybody else can do to us. 
it's time for us to speak for God. See, if, if, if we abandon that and if we allow ourselves to be silenced, either because they pass a law that says we must be, or if we're voluntarily silenced because we think that's what we need to do, if we do that, then haven't we really abandoned our role as God's faithful people? Haven't we abandoned our role as God's prophets? At least that's true for those of us who are pastors. If we're silenced, haven't we abandoned our role as the conscience of the nation, as counselors to the king? If we're silent, haven't we given up what God has actually put us here to do? And you and I know that if the people of God, if the good people are silent, guess who will speak up? If the good people withdraw from these discussions and from proclaiming the truth of God, guess what will happen? All of the people with all of the craziness and all of the evil will come rushing in. Have you seen any evidence of evil rushing in lately? Could it be? And I ask the question with the implied answer of yes, it is. Could it be that the church has abandoned its role and because of that, we have allowed all of these evil ideologies to be thrust upon us and to take root in our culture, in our society, in the public thinking of people who don't, in some respects, know any better because no one told them. And we need to speak up. We all need to speak up. Pastors, parishioners, all of us. And we need a return to faithfulness. You see, sometimes I want to ring this bell again. Sometimes we don't speak up because we know we've lost our moral authority. And by that, I mean we have gone astray as the people of God. We haven't been faithful. And I could pull up a whole lot of things to ask us, have you been faithful with this? Have you been faithful with that? One of the, one of the big things that, that I notice as a pastor is how casually people treat Sunday. Well, if I'm in church, I'll be there if I don't have to do this or that or the other thing. And almost anything crowds out faithfulness to God and going to church. Have you noticed? I don't have young children. I haven't had for a long time. But in recent years, I think that's been since my children were grown. How many sports activities for kids take place on Sunday morning? Now, Isn't it interesting that the people of God haven't said no to that? but we go along with it? Well, I think we just need to challenge ourselves on those kind of things. If we're going to have moral authority, we need to be consistent. We need to be faithful to that. Now, let me also say this. If we're going to speak up for God, we need to do it in ways that are not intentionally abrasive and off-putting. You know, we need to be wise about what we say. We need to be careful about what we say. Yes, I will remind us we need to keep the primacy of Christ, the priority of the scriptures, the pursuit of truth, and the practice of wisdom. That's what we see in this story in Acts. They were proclaiming Christ. He was primary. They were, in their preaching through the book of Acts, they referred to the scriptures, so they gave priority to the scriptures. And they were simply calling people to pursue the truth of what happened. Jesus had been killed, but God raised him to life so that we could have forgiveness of sins and newness of life. That's the pursuit of truth. That's what really happened. And they were practicing wisdom because they didn't back down. They served God. They obeyed God rather than people. 
So yes, that framework that we've talked about really does help us here. And we really need to pursue that. Well, often these days, and I, I find this very both amusing and troubling, often these days we hear people say, well, you just need to, you just need to be loving to people. You just need to love people. And they're right. They may have forgotten that God said to love him first with everything you've got and your neighbor as yourself. So loving people does not mean loving God less. God comes first always. But people will say, well, you know, if you really love me, you'll approve of what I think and what I do and, and the direction I want to go. And a lot of us stop and think and say, now, wait a minute. There's a difference between accepting you and loving you and approving what you think and say and do. Love doesn't mean approving and giving you everything you want. Anybody who's had a young child knows that love doesn't mean giving them approval to run and play in the street when the cars are coming by. No, we stop them and in no uncertain terms, we make sure they understand there's a penalty for running out there and we're going to dish it out until they get the idea they stay in the yard. Well, that's love. And so love isn't about approving whatever people want us to agree with. Love isn't, if, if it's our children or anybody else, love doesn't mean that we're required to go along with them. Love means we seek what's best for them. Read the Bible. That's pretty clear. 1 Corinthians 13 will give you some ideas on that. Look at how God loves people. He doesn't just let them do whatever he wants to do. But our world thinks it's approval. Well, I've been enjoying a book called Correct Not politically correct by a man named Frank Turek. And in the book, he talks about the transgender craze, and I used some of his ideas on the podcast recently. And he tells the story about how he and a friend of his, Dr. Michael Brown, were debating two representatives of the LGBTQ community on this very idea of whether love requires us to approve or affirm a loved one's position. So does, do I love this person and love then requires me to approve and affirm that position? Now, they, they chose that topic for the debate on purpose because, as you know, and maybe even in your own family, you've had people kind of put that out there. Well, if you really loved me, you would approve of what I'm doing. You wouldn't tell me I was wrong. Well, I really love that toddler that I kept out of the road because the cars were coming by. I told that toddler he was wrong. He's got to stay out of the road. I loved him enough to intercept him, to keep him from something that would hurt him. And so when we are challenged by that, we need to think of how do we respond in those kinds of situations. It may not be helpful to use the analogy that I used with the child running into traffic. People don't think that they're misbehavior these days is going to be harmful to them. They don't understand that. But during the course of this debate that um, Dr. Brown and Frank Turek were engaged in, they tried to convince the, the other side that love does not require approval. And of course, the other side argued, yes, it does, because they were from the LGBT community. It requires approval. And a lot of us have noticed that for a long time, that they've been expecting approval. Well, at one point in the debate, uh, Frank Turek and Dr. Brown asked the other side, do you love us? And of course they responded, yes, we do. Then 
Dr. Brown and Frank Turek asked them another question. Do you approve of our position? They said, no. Well, when Dr. Brown and Frank Turek pointed out that they had just lost the debate because they didn't approve of, of their position, they still claimed to love them in spite of the fact they didn't approve of their position. So you can ask people that. If you disagree with someone, ask them, do they love you? If they say yes, then ask them, well, do you approve of my position? And they'll probably say no, but they'll begin to recognize that love doesn't mean approval. So those are the kind of things that, that we can use. I thought that was a very helpful perspective that they brought to bear on that. And you could probably think of other ways. A lot of times asking a question rather than making a didactic condemnatory statement helps. Just ask people to think about something. Have you thought about this? Have you realized th that about what God says? Have you thought about what results from this? Have you thought about why God might have said it this way? Get people to, to think about some things. And, and sometimes I think that that approach frustrates people because they just want to open up and blaze away. But I think that it's much easier to help people change their mind if we give them the opportunity by asking a question that they can think about and process. So, well, we've thought out loud a lot today and I've given you a lot to think about and process and I hope you will do just that and I hope you will not be silent. Find a way to speak up in your own way and defend what God has said. And we'll be back next week. I'm Pastor Wilkins.